we are really blessed to have Dawson with us today. And so uh, at some point, uh, before the day is over, be sure to find him and just tell him thank you for leading us uh, into the presence of God and in his worship. If you have a copy of the scriptures, and I hope you do, or if you want to pull it up on your phone, uh, we are going to be looking in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, it's closer to the back of your Bibles than the front by far. Uh, or you can just look in the table of contents, and somewhere in there it'll say Philippians, and you can go to that page and find it. Philippians chapter 4, we've been making our way through Philippians for quite a while now. Today we bring it to a close. <laughs> As we do that, I'll, I'll share with you um, a moment when, when I became really aware of how ugly, how petty, how small my flesh can be. I was a college student, and I had, I'm trying to think, four guys for sure, maybe two, kind of five, four or five guys that were, were kind of young high schoolers. They were like ninth graders. One of them might have been in eighth grade, one in tenth, but had this group of guys that as a young college student, I was trying to invest in and teach them more about God and hopefully be a model of faithfulness for them and their lives. And so, man, we, we had Bible studies. We had serious time. We also just had goofy hangout time, um, just did life with them and one of the things that we would do from time to time, we love to do, is go to the thrift store and look for t-shirts. Uh, not so much lately, but early 2000s, my wardrobe was, um, what is the most awkward, random graphic tee I can find, and I want to wear that, okay? And I've had some jewels over the years, I promise you, uh, I still have a shirt at home that is red, that has on the sewn-on extra fake sleeve that's green sticking out, and it has Santa Love Chuck embroidered right here. I don't know anybody named Chuck. Uh, I'm not called Chuck. I just thought the shirt was awesome. I couldn't get rid of it. I, I've had shirts that, that talked about a guy named Dudley. Don't know who he is. Had all different kind of shirts. We were there shopping for some of our random thrift store shirts, me and these guys. And we get up to the register, and one of these guys, his name is Brad, and Man, I love Brad. Brad is awesome dude. Um, he's a drummer. And if you don't know this about drummers, I say this with a heart full of love for drummers. A lot of times drummers are really scatterbrained, okay? Uh, I think it's all the clanging and noise eventually invades and, and just shakes things around in there. I don't know. But Brad's a drummer, and, and we get to the moment of coming up to the register, and Brad's got several things in his hands that he's picked out. And it's like it hits him for the very first time as he looks at me and he says, I don't have any money. And I'm like, Thinking like, dude, how did you get this far, right? But, but in that moment, honestly, as best I can remember anyway, it was just kind of like a laugh, kind of a chuckle, old Brad, right? Like just chuckle, shake my head. I mean, he's, he's got a pretty good bit of stuff. He might have more than any of us, right? But he's got no money. But thankfully, it's the thrift store, so it can't be too much. So after I've paid for my stuff, I turn around, I give Brad some money. And we're all kind of laughing like, how do you not know that you need money if you're going to buy a shirt or whatever? And we're all having a good time. And, and then something happens. And this is the moment when I realized how ridiculously petty and selfish I can be. After he has paid for the items using my money to buy his items, the lady comes to hand him his change back. And I hear Brad say to the lady across the register very generously, oh, you can keep the change. <laughs> and something inside of my soul was like, no, Brad, she can't. <laughs> Brad, it's not your change. You're giving away my change. And it's like I just was willing to give him several dollars, but for some reason that like 60-something cents just set me off. Right now, I don't think I let it out. I don't think he probably noticed, but we joked about it for sure. We were walking to the car, and I was like, hey, Brad, can I keep the change? I mean, you're just giving change out. Can you tell me to keep the change even though you don't have any change? It's my change. Can I keep the change? We just joked a lot about it, but on the inside, I was a little bit hot, right? I was a little bit hot because as much as I love this dude and as far as I'm willing to go to help this dude, 
I had kind of reached the limits of my sacrificial giving in that moment. You've been there, if you're honest. You don't have to raise a hand or or even nod a head, but I know you've been there because you're human like I'm human, right? Some of you have been really committed to helping potty train that kid, right? You're going to serve them in that way. You're going to help them. You're going to train them, right? But you reach that moment where you've just had enough that day and you can't take any more and nobody else is home and nobody else is around. And it's a moment where if you're being honest, you know that that kid, you need to be scooping them up and running to the potty. But you didn't, did you? Because you were tired. (laughs) You said, I'm going to let them have a little bit of a mess and cause me more of a mess later because I can't deal with the mess right now, right? There's a limit. Maybe you've helped somebody move before and you were glad to do it until you got about two couches into it. And, and as you made your way back out to the truck for like the 19th time, you thought, I, I thought they said we were going to be done by lunch. They must eat really late, <laughs> 3 p.m. I mean, I love them. I wanted to help. I'm glad to help. But we're reaching the point of ridiculousness. And all of a sudden, the focus shifts from what you can do for somebody else to what advantage they're taking of you. Because the reality is, is that in our un-Jesus condition and our just natural fleshly state away from us being created in the image of God, the more that we are living in that state, we all have a place where our willingness to serve and our willingness to love and our willingness to care shuts down. Now, as we've studied through the book of Philippians and we've seen the Apostle Paul be in a place where he is serving radically, he, he is stretched out to the absolute ends of capacity and limits he's in prison for over a year and a half telling people about jesus serving them in the greatest way possible right why would it matter if somebody serves you and gives you and does for you and provides for you but they don't share with you the fact that you're hopeless apart from jesus he's serving in the greatest way possible and he's suffering for his serving and yet over and over again he continues to talk about joy this intense resilient happiness that we can only have in jesus I want you to be joyful. I want you to be happy. Did you know that God cares more about your happiness than you do? And over and over again, we're seeing in Philippians that Paul is saying, listen, I can have joy in Jesus no matter if I'm imprisoned or not imprisoned, no matter if I'm going to end up dying or if I'm going to be set free, no matter if those who preach the gospel are preaching it from pure motives or from impure motives, I can just be glad the gospel's going forward. We're seeing him say, no matter this or that, this way or that way, I can have this joy in Jesus. Where we left off last week as Paul is starting to rope the letter down and bring it to a close. He's writing to the church in Philippi and he tells them, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you revived your concern for me. We talked about that last week if you remember. He said they were always concerned for him. Their hearts were always there with him to care for him and support his ministry. But they didn't have an opportunity to support tangibly with gifts, with finances with food maybe they had lost track of him maybe they didn't know where he was now maybe they were so impoverished they literally had nothing to give but for whatever reason they weren't able to give anymore and where we left off last week was with Paul saying I rejoiced in the Lord that you gave me this gift but make no doubt about it right I'm not saying that I'm happy that you gave to me because I was in need he says indeed I I've learned how to go through highs and lows I learned how to have much in abundance and I've learned to have almost nothing and very little Learned to live in that situation. Said, I've learned the secret of that, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where we left off last week. We're going to pick back up kind of in the middle of that conversation as he's talking to this Philippian church about the gift that they have sent to him. Verse 14 says this. It says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So he starts in verse 14. He says, listen, I've learned how to have a lot or have a little. I've learned how to be content in Jesus He says, even though that that is true, even though I'm stable with Jesus alone, if he's all I've got, if I've got Jesus and and I've got clothes and food, I can be content in Jesus, he says. Even though that's my state, yet it was kind of you to do what? Underline this in your heart. Ask God to underline it in your soul. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Doesn't that sound like such a cool phrase? Didn't you get excited about that? If, if a friend called you today and you said, hey, what's up, man? And the first thing they said was, hey, can you come over and share my trouble? Would that excite you? Would you automatically go, oh, yeah, I'm there. Right? Hey, man, we're doing wings at my house at 3. When we're done with the wings, uh, you're going to share my trouble. Are you showing up for that or are you not showing up? Right? Ladies, your, your friend calls and says, hey, can we have coffee? And I'll buy your coffee as long as you promise for about three hours to share my trouble. Does that sound like something really inviting? Here's what Paul says is, listen, it was kind of you. He doesn't say it was obedient of you as if it was something that he had commanded them to do. It's not an obligation that they feel because they have to. He said it was this kindness, this overflowing love and generosity and friendliness of you. It was kind of you to share my trouble. He outlines the relationship between them, how long they've been sharing in his trouble. He says, listen, in the beginning of the gospel, meaning, I believe, when he first became a a traveling preacher of the gospel and started seeing church plants grow up all around the place as people came to know Jesus, as he went from one place to another and preached, he says, even back then, theologians and scholars smarter than me say probably about 10 years have passed at least since that time until the time of his writing. He's saying way back then, even in that moment, When I started preaching the gospel, when I was in that region, in that area of Macedonia, right? Macedonia is not a city. It's not a town. Kind of for us, we might say it's kind of like middle Georgia, okay? I had a friend the other day who tried to tell me I was not from middle Georgia, and I just let you know, Dublin, I put him in his place. I said, the dub is the hub of middle Georgia. You don't know what you're talking about, And I'm a proud citizen of the dub, right? Middle Georgia, the area, the territory, he says, listen, I was preaching in the area, the territory of Macedonia. It was some time ago, some years ago, and even way back then, you know that back then you were the only church. He says, you were the only one that partnered with me, not just partnered with me in prayer. As important as that is, and as even more important as that is than physical support, tangible support. He says, but you didn't just partner with me only in that. You didn't just partner with me in good intentions. You didn't just partner with me by saying, hey, we'll walk to the next town with you if there's anything we can do to help you while we're there. He says, you partnered with me in a tangible, sacrificial way. You shared my trouble in giving and receiving. He says, even in Thessalonica, time and again, you gave to my needs. Why does he mention Thessalonica? It's interesting. It's a little bit of a quagmire. It makes you scratch your head a little bit because you would think he would be saying, hey, I went to some place so far away, and it was such a struggle to get there, and even there you supported me. But the reality is, is that the city of Thessalonica is actually really close to the city of Philippi. And so he's saying, hey, listen, even when I was just going to the, to the town next door, think about that. If somebody came in and they said, I'm a missionary, and you go, oh, that's awesome. And they said, I need your support. Support my mission. And you go, oh, we would love to support your mission. And they said, I'm going to Dudley. 
you're chuckling because right now you see the awkwardness even within it for yourself. Like, hey, we love you. We're glad you're going to Dudley, but Dudley's kind of got the same means we've got over there. Like, they're kind of doing their deal over there. Like, why do you need us to support you just to go to Dudley, right? Paul says, listen, even when I went to that place, there was, there was no place that you viewed as too insignificant for you to continue your care for me. Now, here's where I want us to zone in. Here's why I'm praying that God would point our heart and that he would point his word into our souls in a way that will be revealing of us maybe and a little bit painful, but in a way that will also be healing and produce a lot of joy in us. What could make a church that we know experienced poverty, what could make a church so radically committed over a period of years to sacrificially give in sharing the trouble of the apostle? And I would just say it to you this way. I believe that our answer is right here in the text. I believe that the answer is that they knew that they shared in the ministry of what? The gospel. It's in the ministry of the gospel. He said, it's back then when I started preaching this gospel. The gospel is at the center of this partnership. Some of us are not fired up about that yet. It's okay. We're going to get there. Okay. I would say to you, I would ask you to jump on board with this because I believe it's true that there are a lot of other reasons that you might jump on board with helping somebody else, but all of those other reasons will eventually run dry. But only the gospel can continually gladden us about sharing the troubles of others. Only the gospel will come back again and again and again and fill us back up to be like Christ, to be like Jesus in loving and caring for and serving others. Listen, your sense of obligation may carry you oh so far, but eventually you'll go, I don't care. I don't care. Right? If, if the attendant at the thrift store thinks I'm a jerk because I'm mad at Brad, I don't care anymore. Doesn't matter if it's proper. Your sense of propriety will eventually run out. Your sense of doing enough to try to see, seek God's favor, have him smile on you, this idea of legalism, if you would, that will eventually break down. But the thing that will continue to resonate in our hearts and every time we can look back to it with sincerity and, and wait upon the Lord as we gaze at the goodness of Jesus in the gospel, that's the thing that can continue to wake us up again and carry us farther to love the way that Jesus loved. And yet so many times in our own individual Christian lives and so many times in our collective Christian lives, we get so focused on other things. And when we say other things, I'm not necessarily talking about sports and job and family and all that. That's true, but, but even within our faith, even within our scriptures given to us by God, we get so laser focused on things that are good and things that matter, but things that aren't necessarily most important. I heard a, a guy who's in the movie-making industry. I was listening to a podcast a while back, and, and he was saying to his wife that he was interested in seeing this particular documentary series because it was about a guy named Mel Brooks. And some of you recognize that name. He's a pretty famous guy in Hollywood. I don't know much about him personally, but even I recognized his name when he said that. And he said as he said this to his wife, his wife was like, who's Mel Brooks? And as a guy who's in the film industry, he was appalled that he would be married to such a woman. <laughs> so he starts educating her on Mel Brooks, and he's telling her all this stuff. And he's like, I just can't. He says, they're riding down the road later, and he's just coming back to it again. I just can't believe you don't know Mel Brooks. And he, she says, wait a minute, let me just ask you something. He says, okay. She asked him, do you know of this particular woman? I'll just say her name was Stacy Johansson. She says, do you know who Stacy Johansson is? 
He says, no, but I know what you're trying to do, and there's no way she's as cool as Mel Brooks. Right? He said, but no, do you really, do you know who Stacy Johansson is? No, I don't know who that is. Who is that? She says, that's our son's kindergarten teacher. Right, he knew all about the big, popular, famous dude who'd made all kind of history. But I would wager to say that his son's kindergarten teacher had a much bigger impact on his life and was much more important to know and recognize. And he was pointed out to say, it's interesting how in our lives we can get so laser-focused in, even on things maybe that are important, but to the detriment and to the, the disfocus away from what is absolutely foundational that we can't look away from. The gospel is the fact that the, the holy God, the one and only holy God, perfect in every single way. The God who can't associate with sin in any way or he ceases to be who he is. His character stops being perfect the moment that he dabbles in a little bit of sin. This holy God rescued sinners. Sinful people, people who are chock full of the stuff that he won't associate with. He rescued sinners and brought them close to himself through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son named Jesus. And somehow we have fallen into this idea that that is the ABC point of Christianity, that that's the starting place. And then we graduate up to more mature land. And the reality is there is more to learn, but none of it is more important and none of it will fuel us for a life of Christ likeness like gazing back regularly, daily, at the gospel. Because as long as it's about whether or not I'm doing enough to honor God, eventually I'll get tired of that. As long as it's about whether or not my parents are pleased with the way that I'm walking through life. As long as it's about filling the blank, eventually that gets old. But when I look and see that sinless Jesus gladly died in my place, that even though he prayed with such great distress that blood would pop out of his capillaries and, and come down his face as he just prayed in such distress, even though he was in that place, the scripture tells us that there was joy set before him in dying for sinful wretches like me. When I set my mind on that, all of a sudden, I'm moved, and I go, man, I can share at least a little bit more than somebody else can share. I can do it just a little bit more. It reminds me of kindergarten, my girlfriend in kindergarten. Her name was Andy Jones. There was this little guy named Joey that was in another class, and he was bothering her, and so I took it upon myself to chase him around the whole playground. And I would chase him around the whole time. He's fast now. I was fast, so he must have been fast, okay? I was chasing him around the playground, and what I did, I started stopping after every lap, and Andy would give me a kiss on my cheek, and then I'd run again. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't physically do anything for my energy level, but it felt like it was a boost, right? <laughs> felt like I got to stop and make sure I get that peck on the cheek, and then I'm going to go kill Joey, right? You need daily, regular of the gospel if you're going to be fueled to return to love God and reflect that love in the way that he does for his people. Dublin Bible Church, I'm convinced that you want to be a people who will share this bubble of those around you. Be that spiritual frustration and struggle and strain, be that relational, whatever it is, I'm convinced that you want people to see Jesus through your love. And I just say to you, with a heart that stands in line at the front of the line right there with you and says, me first. We need Jesus and the gospel to be focal if we're going to love the way that he loves.
that you shared in my trouble, you continued in this partnership in the gospel. Now, here's what I love about the Bible. I love how honest it is. It doesn't say to us, go and serve other people and you'll never have a hard moment. That's not the Bible. If somebody's sold you the lie that following Jesus means life is always going to be cotton candy and rainbows, and what, that's a lie. Love the honesty of Scripture. If we sacrificially serve others, if we say, I'm going to seek out gladness by seeking out how I can share the trouble of others in some weird way that only God could produce, I'm going to seek joy in the midst of giving away of myself and bearing another's burden. If we're going to live that life, we may run into places where we feel stretched thin, to say the least. We may run into places of less than. We may run into places of even poverty, if it's what it takes for us to give to others. I believe that might be what leads Paul to say this next. Verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, back to the gift that the Philippians brought to him, sent to him through Epaphroditus. He says, not that I seek that gift, not that I seek the gift, but I seek what? I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Hear this, verse 19. You're stretched thin. You don't know how you could give. You don't know how you could love somebody because your own life is too big. Hear this, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I'm not seeking that you would give more stuff to me. I'm not seeking that you would bless me more with more resources, more money, more whatever. He says the focus that I have and the thing that excites me about this, verse 17, is that I see the fruit that increases in your life. I'm seeing you grow in Christ-likeness. And as I'm seeing that, right, he's saying, listen, this, this same ministry of preaching to people and going about and proclaiming the gospel has him imprisoned in this moment. And so he's saying it from a moment of strain and stress and being stretched thinner than we've probably ever been stretched. He's saying, listen, as I'm seeing you grow, it's worth it to me. <laughs> we've read over and over again throughout the letter of Philippians, it's joyful to Paul. He goes, hey, listen. I'm going to stake my life on the fact that God loves me infinitely. And secondly, on the fact that there's more gladness in seeing others grow and trusting his love than there is in anything else I could pursue. That guy, Brad, who spent my change, he's not a pastor. I, I haven't checked with him in the last few weeks, but he probably can't quote to you like the whole book of Matthew. He's just a normal dude. He's had some hard times in life, even recently. He's been through some stuff. You know what he does do? He, he loves Jesus. <laughs> he's faithful even when it's hard. He's not ashamed to talk about the Lord. And for me, man, to look at his life, I just go, man, that's what I want my life to be about. That in some small way, my life would have mattered in his life. I could take you right now. To my best buddies in high school at my new school, the guys that I hadn't known well, but they were my closest friends at my new school, Matt and Chris. 
that I kept trying to talk to about Jesus, but I was you know, just trying to hang around them, be with them. I wasn't trying to beat them over the head with a Bible, but share my life with them, share Jesus with them. I can take you to the spot where one Sunday night after church, I had to run home to get something that I had forgotten at home. Surprise for those of you who know me. right? I, I forgot something. I had to go get it. I came back, and the service was over, and they both met me out on the foyer in that church, and they just wrapped their arms around me, and they just cried and wept and said, thank you. They just given their lives to following Jesus. And I'm just telling you, as much as I love ice cream and Alabama football, and as much as I love seeing my kids succeed in academics, and man, when, when my dude, my fifth grader hit the three-point shot in the game the other night in the gym, it was everything I could do to hold it all in and not be like, that's right! That's my boy. I wanted to count out. I'm just telling y'all, y'all don't know me enough yet. I'm, I wanted to just go, one, two, oh, no, it's three, right? Because he hit a three, right? That's my boy, right? Listen, I love all those moments, but as awesome as all those moments are, they pale in comparison to the fact that the Lord would let me in my broken, tattered, torn life speak into somebody else's life and somehow use that, and they would go, man, I want to know this Jesus too. Would we trust our God enough to go, hey, that's what I want to align my life with? I want to align my life staking my gladness on knowing Jesus and on showing Jesus to the world around me. Because here's the promise. If we live that kind of life, Paul says it. It's God's word for our lives as well. He says, my God will supply every single one of your needs according to his glory and riches in Christ Jesus. Nothing that you will need that you won't have. And the idea here is not that that God turns and He gives us every bank of wealth that He has, that He like Scrooge McDuck swimming through His money goes, here's all of it. It doesn't say He gives us all of everything that we would ever want. What it says is that in giving according to His riches in Christ Jesus, He's giving to us in a way that is reflective in quantity and in nature. He's given to us in a way that you would go, man, that's a big, huge God that was able to hold back. He doesn't give stingily. He doesn't hold back. He gives what we need, and he gives it gladly in a way that reflects his grandness and his riches and his universe. If you will leverage your life for the glory of God and the lives of those around you, God will provide your needs, period. For a year after my family had moved to a new town, I continued to go to my old school, and I would travel with my mom about an hour. She worked at a local high school there in that area. I would go to the junior high school. I remember standing after school, waiting in the crowd for my mom to come pick me up, and it was not an abnormal thing for my mom to be the very last one to get there to pick me up. She had to finish up her work at her job. And I just remember standing out there, kicking dirt around, feeling sorry for myself because I had to move, had to get away from my friends, going to have to go to a new school, feeling sorry for myself because it's hot outside and I'm having to stand out here waiting, feeling sorry for myself because I had all kind of twigs sticking up, my hair wasn't like I wanted it to be. And like it's just, I, was, I just remember just being just, ugh. But let me tell you one feeling that I never had. <laughs> Might have been angry that mom was later. Might have been frustrated that circumstances made it this way. Let me tell you one feeling I never, ever had, fear that my mom wasn't coming. I never remember a single time thinking, and I'm a guy who can get nervous about something. I'm just being honest with you. But I never remember thinking she's not coming. 
I never remember thinking, I bet something happened. She, I, I stand out there. I mean, it would have been nighttime. It could have been midnight. I'd be standing out there like, I don't know where she's at, but she's coming. Right? I knew mom was coming. You know how I knew mom was coming? Because she always came. Every single time she was supposed to get me, she came and she came. And I'm just saying, your God has got you. Your God will provide for your life of faithfulness. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need. He will provide. If you need to be convinced of that, look at what he did with his son on your behalf. His greatest asset, his greatest resource, his greatest value, he sacrificed. We're told in the Old Testament that it pleased him to crush Jesus. Give us hope. God will come through if we will leverage our lives for situation that we so often live in, and I'm at the front of the line, fortunately, is that we don't always experience God coming through because we never put ourselves in a place where we need him to. If we never step into a sacrificial faithfulness that goes, I don't know how this works out for me, but I'm going to care about you. If we never step into that place, then we never open up a gap for God to go, see, watch, here's how I'm faithful. Here's how I provide. Here's how I provide for every need. Spiritual need, emotional need, financial need, material need. Here's how I do it. Will we be people who put ourselves in a place to see God demonstrate his faithfulness to provide for us as we stretch to care and provide for others? I see you doing it, Dublin Bible Church. I love it. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. I guarantee you we can find God in that. As the letter comes to a close, Lots of weeks in Philippians. Comes down to this. This is Paul's closing. So where you might write at the end of your letter, I love you, comma, or respectfully yours, comma, or grateful, comma, whatever you would write at the end of a letter. I would probably write much love. That's just something I say a lot. Shane Preston would probably write, I played a lot of sports, comma. He wants people to know that a lot. I don't know why he says things like this, but he does. Whatever you would write at the end of your letter, here's what Paul writes to the church at Philippi, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I love that it ends kind of in the same place that it started. Do you remember? It's been a while now. It's been a couple of months or more at this point. You remember where it started, the beginning of Philippians, Paul and his intro? He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So that's who's writing this. Paul and Timothy were servants of Christ. This is who we're writing to. He says, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And then what's the first thing he says after he says, hey, this is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. The very first thing he says is grace and peace to you. The God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts by reminding us that we're saints, that God has changed our forever identity and we're no longer primarily identified as sinners. We're primarily identified as saints. It starts by saying that happened because of the grace of God and you can trust him to pull more out and that's exactly where it ends. He says, hey, be sure to greet and tell all the saints there, all the other followers of Jesus, be sure to tell them we say hello and that we care about them, that we're praying for them, that kind of thing. Let them know, greet them. He says, all the saints 
of Caesar's household. This would have been an impressive thing. Remember, Paul's guarded by this imperial guard, kind of this top shelf, like almost like Navy SEAL kind of of the Roman guards. They're the best of the best. He's guarded by them, probably guys that spent time guarding and protecting the emperor or his family or those close to him. Remember, many of them had come to know Jesus. This would have been an impressive, impactful thing socially. He's going, man, some of those guys are saying hey to you. And guess what? Some of those guys that you never would have expected, they've become followers of Jesus. They're, they're, they're saints. So greet everyone and know that they greet you. Across your differences, there's glad partnership and companionship in following Jesus. Greet them all. And then he finishes it with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I've argued that grace, as I can best understand it, is ill-deserved favor from God. Not just undeserved, ill-deserved. I've proven that I don't deserve this kindness, this favor. Grace is ill-deserved favor from God displayed in him doing for me what I could never do. And here's what Paul says at the very end of all this stuff. As he says, man, you want to talk about joy? You want to talk about happiness? Here would be my prayer for you then. It would be this, above and beyond every other thing that we've talked about. I would end it by saying this. May that ill-deserved favor be so apparent and so present in the very core of you. May you walk around and go about life and interact with others and have friendships and do family life and all the stuff that you do as you live. May it be apparent to you in a deep and undeniable way, deep in the core of you, that you have this kind of favor, this kind of love from God. May it be with you in a way that can't be touched by your external circumstances because it's deep in your spirit. There's one Bible truth. Followers of Jesus, you are not the bottom of the barrel. You're not the scum of the Christian earth who barely gets in and following Jesus. If you have trusted in what Jesus has done for you, and instead of trusting in what you can do for you, then you are a sinner. The God of heaven, the holy, perfect God, calls you a sinner. And may it be true of us, would it be our prayer for ourselves that his grace would continually, day by day, be so apparent to the eyes of our souls that our lives would be shaped and we would return lives of worship to Him gladly. And our decisions and our songs and our studying of God's Word and our ethical decisions and the way we view the world around us, God, I want to worship You because You have placed ill-deserved favor on me and so have they. May it be true of us that that so shapes us that we then turn and want everybody we can come into contact with to know that same favor. That we would share their trouble and in so doing that they might share in knowing Jesus with us. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus. I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking if you've been dunking some water. I'm saying, do you have a relationship with the invisible God through faith in his son named Jesus who's very much alive today? you don't know that the answer to that is yes and we're so glad you're here we don't want to pressure you into anything we just want to love you and answer any questions we can help you in any way we can come find me when we're done come find a friend if, if time or maybe even nerves or whatever won't allow that then on that card on the back of the seat in front of you or under the seat if you don't have a seat back in front of you there's a place that you can check and say I need to talk with a pastor 
And Lord willing, we'll get with you this week as soon as possible. Don't leave this place not certain that you know Jesus and do nothing about that. Followers of Jesus, how do we need to respond to God's word? Who might he be prompting in our hearts to move forward and carry in their trouble? Because the way we see Jesus has shared the greatest ever trouble that we've ever had at the cross and in his resurrection. Let's pray. God, I praise you humbly. I praise you for the breath that I breathe, God, and the ability to stand for some moments and do my best to proclaim your truth. Thank you for that, God. So much more dependent upon that than we realize. God, I ask today that that we would leave this place in awe of how you love us so radically. That we would leave this place humbled by filled as though so with you. God, help us to remember that we're not Jesus, that we can't save the world, that we have limitations, but God, I pray that we would not let limitations be excuses, but instead we would seek you to lead and guide us by faith individually and collectively as a church and how we serve others and share trouble of all different kinds in an effort to see you more clearly and to show you more clearly. God, would you prompt in our hearts right now, would you show us right now how we respond? Would you make us people who leave this place to worship you actively with our lives so much louder than we would ever worship you with our songs? Let us worship you scattered just as intently as we do when we're gathered. Show us, lead us, guide us by your spirit. The glory your name, knowing that we will have true joy therein. Remind you, as we finish up Philippians, <laughs> for some of you, 